Hi, everybody, and welcome to another online Turning Point Church Sunday service. But this is a very special communion service, and uh, we're so looking forward to breaking bread with you, uh, uh, honoring the Lord's Supper with you. And many of you today, a few hundred of you, came through the parking lot and picked up the elements that we had prepared. And I'm going to be showing you how to open that thing up in just a little bit. But it was so good seeing the people in person. And here next to me is my lovely wife, Cindy. And Cindy, it was great seeing them. It really, it? it really was. Um, you know, I noticed many of you came and were just moved emotionally to even to tears. And uh, we love you and we miss you so much. And we can't wait till we can all be together again. And we do believe that that's going to be very soon. Yes, it seems like, and I don't want to be a false prophet here, but it seems like uh, in the next couple of three weeks, it's, it's a real strong possibility. And uh, so we will be, be sure you check the webpage and check any emails from us because we're going to be keeping you up to speed with where we are. But we are so looking forward to getting with you once again and getting back to church as, as usual. And, uh, but, and again, great to see so many of you in your cars. It was weird, Cindy, because I had a mask on. And who would have ever thought that we'd be standing in the parking lot with masks on saying hello to the people. And a lot of them came through with masks. Yes, they did. But Mm -hmm. those masks are about to go. So anyway, (laughs) we wanted to say hello to you and reiterate how much we miss you. And I've got a real word that I want to share with you today. And uh, I've I've given it a very, very uh, strange title, kind of an East Texas title. I'm calling it snake bit. And so you're probably wondering what I'm going to say. Well, I'm going to show you that. So let's get right into the Word of God. And um, I'm going to sit for a little while, and I may stand, but I want to just break open the Word of the Lord to you uh, and with you before we get into the Lord's Supper. So I'm going to be reading out of John chapter 3, verse 14, and then I'm going to Numbers chapter 21. So I encourage you to get your Bibles. Go grab that Bible And uh, just open it up to the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and go to verse 3. And here is Jesus talking to the priest Nicodemus. And Nicodemus has come to him in the dead of night uh, so that he would not be found out, uh, that he he went and found or sought out Jesus. He he didn't want to get in trouble for that. But Jesus is having a little one-on-one conversation with him. And he said a lot of powerful things like, Nicodemus, you must be born again and and that kind of thing. But we're, we're jumping into something that Jesus said to the priest Nicodemus. He said in John 3, verse 14, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Now, what story uh, was Jesus referring to in the Old Testament, some serpent in the wilderness. Well, let's go to Numbers chapter 21, and we'll find out. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Just go to Numbers 21, and let's read starting at verse 6. And here's what Jesus was referring to. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people, and many Israelites died. And the people came to Moses and they said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. 
pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Now verse 8, the Lord said to Moses, now look what God said to Moses, very important here. He said, make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten and live. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. And then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. What a powerful story. Now, as we gather today to celebrate the Lord's Supper, I I wanted to show you why Jesus died for us. You know, a, a lot of people wonder, you know, why uh, did, did God have sent his son to die on a cross of torture? I mean, what's all that about? The, the blood and the beating and all the abuse that Jesus endured. What's that about? Why did that have to happen? Well, this story gives us an incredible illustration of why it happened. And I'm going to just unpack this as we go. Now, as I've already said in the text, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. And he refers to this event of the children of Israel journeying through the wilderness. And the Bible lets us know that while they were in the wilderness, they were chronic complainers. I mean, their tongue dug their own grave over and over again. They could not quit complaining, griping, moaning about, you know, God brought us out here to kill us and how come there's no water and how come there's nothing to eat? And they just could not quit complaining. Well, one day they made a huge mistake and they opened their complaining tongues against not just Moses, but then they turned their complaining tongues to God. And when they did this, uh, God responded with a judgment. He sent fiery serpents, snakes, venomous snakes amongst the people, and they began to bite them and they began to die. Now, I remember when I lived in East Texas and as a kid growing up, I I was always really interested in God's creation, birds, reptiles, animals, you name it. I was uh, interested in it. And I remember reading about venomous snakes and how there are snakes called two-steppers. And a two-stepper is a snake, a particularly venomous snake, that you get bitten and you take two steps and you die. Now, that's a little bit of an embellishment, but the idea is once you're bitten by a two-stepper, you don't have long on this planet. It would seem that this venomous snake in the wilderness was like that because as soon as the people were bitten, they began to die. Now, when this happened, uh, as always, they turned to Moses, having just complained about him and undermined him and run him down, But now they want Moses to pray for them. And this is the way they did it all the time. And they said, Moses, pray that God takes away these snakes. Pray to us and pray for us rather. Pray for us that God will remove these venomous serpents because we're dying, Moses. And so Moses went to God. But God had a better solution than removing the snakes. And it was very unusual. This was not something anybody anticipated because God said to Moses, I want you to construct a bronze serpent. And I want you to put the serpent on a pole. And I want you to hoist that pole up into the air, put it into the ground where it's fastened, so that that bronze serpent 
is hanging between heaven and earth. And then here's my promise. When somebody is bitten by the serpent, if they will just look up at that bronze serpent on the pole, they will be immediately healed. Now, nothing God did in the Old Testament was by mistake. As a matter of fact, the Old Testament is all about Jesus. The Old Testament is, it, it contains Jesus from Genesis to Malachi. It's all about Jesus. The festivals, the feasts, the ceremonies, all the different things God did in the Old Testament, the way he taught on sacrificing animals and the shedding of blood and the covering of sins, the day of atonement, uh, the, the day of Pentecost, uh, the, the, har- the, the harvest of weeks, uh, all of that. It was all pointing down the tunnel of time to Jesus. The entire Bible, ladies and gentlemen, Genesis to Revelation is about Jesus. And in the Old Testament, you have what we call types and shadows. And types and shadows were things that God did like this that he did in the wilderness, putting the bronze serpent on a pole, hoisting the pole up. That is a type and a shadow of Jesus Christ one day being put up on the cross. And it's no mistake that God sent serpents in this judgment of the people. Notice he didn't send lions. He didn't send, uh, he didn't send hyenas. He didn't send wolves. He didn't send anything like that. God sent serpents. And it illustrates, I believe, what happened to the first couple all the way back in the Garden of Eden. You'll note that the first time we ever encounter the devil... He is in the form of a serpent, just like these serpents that were biting the people. When we first encounter the devil in the book of Genesis chapter 3, he shows up in the form of a serpent, and he was poisonous. Oh, he had tremendously poisonous venom because the devil's venom was lies. He was a liar. Jesus said, Satan is a liar and he's the father of lies. He is the creator of lies. He's the source, the spawner of all lies. And in the very first temptation to ever stain God's beautiful creation, we see the devil as a serpent approaching Eve to contradict what God had told the first couple when he placed them in the garden. What had God told them? God had said in Genesis 2 verse 17, You must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now, God had said, all the trees in the garden are yours. There's only one tree you can't eat from. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That one you can't eat from. Because if you go to that tree and you eat of it, you will surely die. And... Satan then starts in with Eve. Here he comes as a serpent. Now watch him. He approaches Eve, and the first thing he does is he contradicts God. You will certainly not die. You will not die, Genesis 3, verse 4. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, what the devil did right here as a lying serpent is he did two things. He contradicted God's command, 
And then he also made Eve question God's motives and intents towards her and Adam. He said, listen, God is really holding back from you because God knows if you eat of it, you're going to be like him. He doesn't want you to be like him. So he has told you not to eat of that tree, not because you will die. No, he lied to you about that. He doesn't want you eating from the tree because he doesn't want you to be like him. And so it was a complete lie. And he undermined God. And he confused Eve. And so the more she listened, the weaker she got. And it says in Genesis 3, verse 6, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food. Notice how he got her focused on the one tree she should never have been focused on. And isn't that what the devil does with you and me? He gets us to focus on the one thing we're not supposed to focus on. See, they could focus on any tree in the entire beautiful Garden of Eden, which was stupendous. It was glorious. We cannot even begin to imagine how stupendously glorious, magnificent this garden was. Of all the things they could have looked at and focused on, the devil got them to focusing on the one thing God had forbidden, and he does that with you and me. And it says, when the woman saw, that means she was gazing at this tree now that God had forbidden. She saw that the tree was good for food. That's the lust of the flesh. And pleasing to the eye. That's the lust of the eye. And also desirable for gaining wisdom. That's the boastful pride of life. And John tells us in his letter, he said, the world is comprised of this, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. Satan has no new tricks. He's got the same old bag of tricks. He tempts all of us in either the lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, or the pride of life. And this is how he attacked Eve. She was focusing on the one thing she shouldn't have, and she was able to see that it, it was pleasing to the eye and it was desirable to the flesh. And it would, he said, the devil lied to her and said, give her wisdom, although it did not do that. But that was his lie. So she reached out, she grabbed the fruit and she took it and she ate it. And it says she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Now, listen carefully to me. Here we have a picture of snake bite. Because when Eve believed the serpent's lies, we could say that she became snake-bitten right then. The venom of Satan's lies entered into her spiritual system via the venom of sin. Because this was the first sin to ever darken God's creation. How did it happen? She got snake-bit. The devil lied to her. She believed the lie. And the lie led to sin, and the sin led to death, and so she got snake bit, and Adam along with her. Now, when Adam also disobeyed and ate the forbidden fruit, he too was snake bit, and by default, the Bible says, when Adam ate of it being the head of the human race, it says the entire human race also became snake bit. The Apostle Paul writes, when Adam sinned, sin entered the entire human race. Can I say that again? You want to know what the human race's problem is? It's not drugs. It's not immorality. Not fundamentally. Not basically. No. It's not murder. It's not hatred. It's not racism. No. The the human race's primary problem is sin. 
We have a sin problem. Why? Because we're snake bit. When Adam sinned, sin entered the entire human race. His sin spread death throughout all the world. So everything began to grow old and die for all sinned. So what a dark and tragic day it was when Eve took of that forbidden fruit and ate of it, gave it to Adam and he ate. And when he did, then the entire human race that would come forth from his loins was also born in sin, shaped in iniquity. We could say snake bitten. And that first snake bite of sin is why the world is full of woes and pain and sickness and crime and depravity and misery because that's all the result of sin and Satan's snake bite. Now I want you to hold that thought. And let's go back to the wilderness and the 9-11 crisis and the fiery serpents. People are dying. Now we, we know that there were up to a million people going through the wilderness under Moses. Look what's happening now. People are beginning to die. It's 911. It is a crisis. The serpents are moving among the people and biting them. And what is God's solution? Notice he didn't remove the snakes as the people had requested. No, that was not God's solution. Let me say again. Instead, he commanded they make a bronze replica of one of those snakes and attach it to the top of a pole, hoist the pole up, put it into the ground where it, where it was standing there, and on top of it is this bronze serpent, and God says to the people, look at it. All you got to do is look at it. I want you to look at it. This was not Moses' idea. It wasn't Joshua's idea. It wasn't Aaron's idea. This was the word of God. I, I've, I put this bronze serpent on a pole. We've hoisted it up. It hangs between heaven and earth. Now, if you have been bitten, I want you to look at it. Look up at it. And when you look at it, you will be healed. Imagine the scene. A man is bitten. His leg begins to swell. His heart begins to race. The pain is growing. He knows he has only minutes to live. And he has one desperate desire. Get me where I can look at the serpent on the pole. Get me, position me, get me to that pole. Get me where I can look up at the serpent on that pole. Get me to the pole. I don't care about seeing anybody else. I don't want to see my wife, my husband, my kids. No, get me to that pole. I want to look at the serpent on the pole because if I can just get to that pole and look at the serpent on the pole, I will be healed. And in obedience to God's instruction, as soon as he casts his eyes on that serpent, on that pole, the swelling stopped, the pain subsided, and he was healed. Do you think God did that by mistake? Do you think God just kind of did that randomly? Oh, no, no, no. There's few types and shadows in the entire Old Testament more powerful and more obvious than this one. The reason God orchestrated this entire event was to point to the day when his only begotten son would be placed on a pole, the cross, be lifted up between heaven and earth and die for a snake-bitten world. That's what the cross is all about. And that's what this points to.
Think about it. God has said to Israel, make a likeness of the very thing that is biting you. Think with me for a moment. Let's just look at the cross in this story. God has said to Israel, make a likeness of the very thing that is biting you and put it on a pole and make it of brass. Did you know that brass was the one thing gold represented royalty in the Old Testament? Silver represented redemption, but brass always represented judgment. So when God said, make this serpent of brass, he was saying, I want them to see that this is judgment, that this, this bronze serpent represents my judgment. And if they will just look at it and understand they're being judged for their sin and look at it, they will be healed. See, the Bible says that when Jesus hung on the cross, as the song says, he became sin who knew no sin, that we might become his righteousness. Paul wrote, God made him who had no sin. God made Jesus who had no sin to be sin for us, the serpent on the pole, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And on the cross, Jesus took my judgment and your judgment. Everything we ever did wrong, every sin we ever committed against a holy God, Jesus took the judgment for it hanging on that cross, the serpent on a pole, took our judgment, took our blame, took our sin upon himself. Now, let me be clear. He didn't become a sinner, literally, but he became our sin sacrifice. And when Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At that very moment, he was taking the judgment of God. The Lord was laying on him the iniquity of us all, as Isaiah the prophet said. And for a moment of time, the son was separated from the father as he bore our iniquities. The serpent on the pole. How powerful is that? What does God say to our snake-bitten world? Oh, I wish I could tell the whole world this. Listen, our problem is not coronavirus right now. Our problem is not primarily coronavirus or any other thing you could name other than we are snake-bit. The entire human race is snake-bit. We've all been bitten by the serpent of sin. And because of that, we're all dying except those who place their faith in Christ. What is God saying to the world? Look at him. I wish I could tell the whole world, listen, look at him. Just like Moses told the children of Israel, look at the serpent on the pole, look at it and you'll be healed. I say to you, look at him. Look at Jesus on the cross. I mean, folks, it's a desperate hour, but God gave us a solution and it's the only solution the one solution. There's not 10, there's not 20, there's not two. There's only one. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, said Jesus. And so God says, do you want to be healed of the sin problem? Do you want your sins washed away? Do you want to be made right with God? Do you want eternal life? Do you want to be saved from the judgment that is on a Christ-rejecting world? Look at him. Look up at Jesus Look at him by faith, turn to Jesus Christ, the only begotten son of God hanging on the cross. Look at him and you will be healed of the venom 
of sin. And you will no longer be snake bit. This is why Jesus so often said things like, Very truly, I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. Because you're not snake bitten anymore. Jesus said, To Mary and Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. How could he say that? Because when you look at him on the cross, you're no longer snake bitten. Put your faith in him. Say, Jesus, forgive me. And that's what we're celebrating today, what Jesus did on the cross. Now, I'm holding the communion elements uh, here in my hand. Now, those of you that came by to get one, I'm going to I want to walk you through this, and let me encourage, before we do this, any of you watching that may not have ever said to Jesus, forgive me, can I tell you, listen, turn your eye upon him. Say, Jesus, forgive me. Look at him on the pole, on the cross, hanging there between heaven and earth. Look at him. Turn your faith onto him and say, Jesus, forgive me. And he will forgive you right where you sit, right where you stand, right where you are. He will immediately forgive you. And you will no longer be snake bitten. I encourage you to do it right now. Just say, Jesus, forgive me and come into my heart. And he will come in and he will fellowship with you and you with him. You can do it wherever you are. Maybe you're listening to this podcast in your car. You can pray right where you are. We've had people pray uh, on our radio program. We've had them pull over the side of the road and pray to receive Christ into their heart. You can do it right now. Don't miss the opportunity to turn your eyes upon Jesus because God put him on that cross for you. And he'll forgive you. But now, those of you that have these elements, I'm holding it in my hand, and I'm, and I'm going to walk you through this. It's very simple. You'll, you'll, you're, you're holding it. I want you to look at the little lip there, the little protrusion on one side, and just push it down. And when you push it down, it'll separate two things that you peel back. And when you peel back the top part first, then you have your wafer. And I want you to be sure that you, you do that. We had a lady come through today who... Uh, got the elements and she drove away and I guess she went ahead and she was going to partake of communion before tomorrow. And she came back through and said, well, I didn't get a wafer. There was only juice. Well, that was because she didn't peel the first part back. So if you push down that lip, you'll see a little separation, pull back the clear part and you can get the wafer. Then you pull back the bottom part and you have the juice. So right now, how many of you are thankful that Jesus is the serpent on the pole. He is what that type and shadow pointed to. But he's not a type and he's not a shadow. He's the substance. He's the real thing that that serpent on the pole pointed to. And so now we have a great high priest seated at the right hand of the Father, praying for you and for me. Let's celebrate him. If you have your wafer, go ahead and hold it in your hand. And and the Bible says... Jesus took the bread and he broke it. And he said, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. Do this to remember me. Can we just hold it up right where you are in your living room, your office, wherever you are, hold it up and say with me, Jesus, thank you that you're that serpent on the pole for me. You're the one that Jesus put, that God put on that cross 
to die for my sins. And Jesus, I thank you. I thank you that you gave your back to the whip so that I could be healed. Jesus, I receive your healing on my life, particularly the healing from my sin. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and partake. Thank you, Lord. Now with that free hand, just lift it up and say, Jesus, I thank you for healing my life. Thank you for healing my life in your mighty name. It says, in the same manner, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this is the new covenant. Watch this. Written in the ink of my blood. What a covenant. It's a blood covenant. He said, do this often to remember me, for as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you do show forth my death, meaning you do preach and teach and testify to the world that I died for them until I come. So let's hold up the cup and say with me, Jesus, thank you for shedding your blood that I could be forgiven. Thank you that when I looked to you hanging on that tree, I was no longer snake bitten. I receive your forgiveness in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Lord, thank you for this wonderful, wonderful supper that helps us to remember regularly what you did for us. I pray for anybody watching who might be far from you, draw them near. I thank you, Lord, that Soon we're going to be able to meet again as a church body, but until then, we are together in spirit. Thank you, Lord, for this precious time together as a church family. And I pray your peace and your provision and your comfort and your healing and your goodness on every home, on every person that partook of this with us today. Thank you for it, Lord. Thank you for the Turning Point family and anyone else that partook of this supper with us. Bless them. And thank you that you're our Savior, our Redeemer, and our soon-coming King. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you for being with us for this really special Communion Sunday. And I, I just want to encourage you to keep on praying because I really believe it's not going to be long before we can meet again. And until then, don't forget, Wednesday nights, we're going through the book of Hebrews, and I'm going to be going through the Hall of Faith, Hebrews 11, this Wednesday night. And I encourage you to tune in with us. It's going to be a great, great time in God's Word. And boy, if there was ever a time we need God's Word, it is now. We love you. Cindy and I love you. The staff loves you. We miss you greatly and can't wait to be with you again. God bless you and may you have a blessed week in the Lord. Amen.